The only place the press is mentioned in the Bible is in Luke 19, when Zacchaeus, the tax collector, has to climb a tree to see Jesus because of the crowds. And the King James Version renders this, he couldn't see because of the press. (laughs) Uh, Today, there are those who argue that the way we render religious news in particular means readers are unable to see the truth, whether that truth is Christianity, Islam, Judaism, or any other religion, because of the press. Niels Bauer, the Nobel Prize-winning physicist, once said, the opposite of a correct statement is a false statement, but the opposite of a profound truth may be another profound truth. Nowhere is that more profoundly true than in religion. As it has been said of the Church of England, even when you don't know what you're doing, someone else does. Now, Richard Charters, Bishop of London, came to the Times a few days ago to talk to the News International Christian Fellowship. Yes, there is such a thing. About 30 people came, which I thought was pretty low, until I found out that it was the same number that turned out to hear Mike Atherton. (laughs) Bishop Richard reminded us that he used to work as the religious affairs correspondent for the Daily Telegraph, and he was sacked by Max Hastings. Until that point of his sacking, most religious affairs correspondents had indeed been clergy. At the times, of course, we had Clifford Longley, not quite a clergyman, but the next best thing. The fact that they were clergy, and with the exception of the religion editor of the Telegraph today, that majority is no longer, is testament to the fact that however the media does view religious news, it's different now to how it once did. Now, there might well be a case in other specialisms for having a correspondent drawn from the ranks, such as with the military, for example. But I'm not sure there is a case with a correspondent, not an editor, of having that in today's news environment. And I often get asked when I'm out and about what my own beliefs are. Um, This question always comes with a slight frisson to me because um, I I think few people would dare to ask a political correspondent how they vote. In fact, I don't mind the question at all because my reply that I'm a member of the Church of England can mean almost anything. (laughs) (laughs) However, the fact that the question still gets asked highlights one of the conflicted areas of this specialism. Is it news or not? Is it subjective or is it objective? When I started this job more than 20 years ago now, uh, religion was a backwater news subject regarded as, in quotes, soft. And one reason I was appointed, unlike Christopher, with a background in news rather than theology, was to bring a harder approach to the subject. And religion was, at that time, 20 years ago, beginning its journey from the centre comment pages of the paper, from the back pages, towards the front page. Keith Waterhouse wrote in his style guide for journalists that the only difference between writing for The Sun and The Times was that in the latter, you merely substitute however for but. (laughs) And one of the first stories I worked on at the Times illustrated this. And this was the first time the Sun bylined one of its own reporters, a religious affairs correspondent. And that was the suicide of Gary Bennett, the Oxford Don. Shortly after that story, one thing that story taught me, I was already, like Christopher, actually, I had always wanted to be religious affairs correspondent. But shortly um, after that, I'd always wanted to do it, but I actually applied, was able to apply for the job formally after the Gary Bennett thing. And the Gary Bennett thing taught me that, um, in every sense except for his sense, I suppose, religion was good news in terms of it was great ways of getting stories in the paper. I was myself, however equally conflicted, as no doubt people listening to that statement will be when they hear it, because I was myself trying to escape from the trauma of general news. I hated interviewing air crash victims, train crash, and other disaster victims. I hated going to interview grieving widows when people were killed in the Piper Alpha disaster. I hated going and standing outside prisons when there were prison riots 
and people in gov- prison governors talking about the devil at work in the prison, if anyone who man- remembers Manchester. I was tempted by religion because of the um, interest and safety of what seemed like an ivory tower within this industry I worked in. My illusions were quickly shattered, like the Twin Towers later. The experience could be compared in many ways to that of Evelyn Waugh's reporter William Boot in Scoop. It looked like one thing, and then it became another, altogether more serious thing. But the subject first took off when George Carey was appointed Archbishop of Canterbury. He said in an interview with the Reader's Digest that not ordaining women priests were tantamount to heresy. And from that moment, really, the subject never looked back in terms of news reporting. And today, nothing, not politics, not defence, not industry, and not social affairs, nothing could be regarded as a harder news story than religion. Already in the years before the end of the millennium, however, religion not only found itself as newsworthy as any other subject on national papers' agendas, but also embraced and contained elements of many of these other specialisms, such as politics, crime, terrorism, social affairs. There's no government department that deals with religion, but nearly all government departments, education, communities, defence, have remits and individuals that incorporate the specialism in some form. Um, In this um, lies one of the main problems of covering the subject. Um, It's difficult to get a handle on. There's no minister that I can call my own. It's not like parliament or social affairs. Many of the stories I do are self-generated. This might be one of the reasons there are so few full-time specialists in this area now, because um, there's no easy route to this subject. There's no diary, apart from you know, very rare meetings, increasingly rare meetings of the General Synod. There, there's no, almost nothing on the diary. Nearly everything has to be self, self-found, self-generated. So what constitutes religious news today? Well, interest has moved, as you all know, beyond the Church of England and Roman Catholic Church to embrace all faiths and every aspect of those faiths. And, of course, news desks remain, as they always will, interested in the sex lives of vicars. But instead of heterosexual vicars, for a long time it seemed to be gay vicars. The interest in that is now fading itself, as new laws mean civil partnerships have become commonplace. And at the times, there's a growing interest in the internal politics of both Christian and non-Christian communities from a religious as well as a civil perspective. The treatment of women within religions is of interest, uh, women bishops, women in Islam. But there's been another more recent um, change, which from my desk in Wapping, I'm detecting at the moment. And that is evidenced by the coverage that's being given today, as I stand here, to the relics of St. Therese and and the surrounding coverage. There's a war out there that's heating up between believers and atheists, and it's being reflected in such ways. But one of the strange and interesting things about it is that parallel with this growing conflict is a new respect for religion and practice, religious belief and practice. And I believe, actually, interesting, that Christianity and other religions have Islam to thank for this. Because after decades, when religious belief was something to apologize for, Islam, by standing up for its right to be taken seriously, has changed the landscape of religious news. I'll never forget when the 2001 census came out. The bishops were among the most surprised of all to discover that more than seven seven in ten people considered themselves Christian. Because after decades, everyone had been kind of covert about their faith. And now, thanks to Islam, they no longer need to be. I think everyone who's not Muslim, who's religious, owes a great debt that has has yet to be fully acknowledged to Islam. It's interesting what Christopher was talking about, the ignorance, the lack of knowledge in newsrooms today. Um, Because I spend most of my life, most of my life when I'm kind of interacting with people, with people like you, all of you here, 
and my working life is spent in a completely different idiom, really, social idiom. I consider myself extremely ignorant about all things religious because, of course, I'm always speaking to people who the real experts, people such as yourselves. And so I really consider myself to be... I once wrote on my blog, the wise man is the man who knows he knows nothing. It was picked up by blogs all around the world. Ruth Gledsel says she knows nothing. (laughs) None of them knew where it came from. And um, it was really hilarious, because it's the same thing as the case in the newsroom. The ignorance is incredible. And recently, the Pope made his comments about contraception on a plane to Brazil, I think. Of course, I knew this was a great story right away, but the number of people who came over to me saying how can the Catholic Church believe that about contraception? (laughs) People who have never heard of Humanivite, people who had no idea that the Catholic Church was against contraception. These are people, you know, in their 30s. So that that made me feel slightly better about my own own ignorance, you know. Um, As Christopher says, we're like a bridge, really, between the secular and the religious. I don't know as as much, or probably not enough either, about all your particular religions as I would like to, as you probably think I should, but but I still, just after 20 years in the job, you know, I still know an awful lot more than a lot of people out there in the secular world, and sometimes you have to, my job is to provide that bridge. One ingredient that always makes a religion story work is similar to all specialisms, and as Chris was saying, a sense of row or confrontation is always a welcome ingredient, up to and including the prospect of schism. Doctrinal disputes, disagreements of procedure or sacrament, all these are welcome news to the media, which we enjoy them as dress rehearsals for schism. Schism, in terms of news criteria, hangs over the specialism, not so much like a cloud as like a prospect. And Andrew Brown, sitting over there, often jokes that whenever I get a good story, I write it as the greatest X since the Reformation. And there's some truth at that, at least with the Church of England. But when true schism did seem to loom earlier this year, I found I couldn't use that phrase. Is this schismatic approach right or wrong? I would defend it with the defence that can be applied to other areas of news coverage. The plane that arrives at its destination is not news. The crash is. It augurs for a good creation, in fact, that bad news is what tends to dominate. However, I do often feel as if I am forever running the risk of being the messenger that is shot. There's discord arriving from the heavens in man-made crises. And I don't want to be an ambulance chaser, but do sometimes feel that we have thrust upon us the role of the assessor reporting on the damage on the ground. People out there, probably many of you, want us to report harmony. But to do that, you need to supply it first. And then out there, people would need to buy the newspapers in which it was reported. And neither prospect seems remotely likely. (laughs) 